Hi everyone, this is Angela Shearer. Welcome to our podcast. Today, Yosef will be chatting to Andrew Wilmot about PCI and a couple of other things. We hope you enjoy the show. I don't wear any jewellery or anything. This is the first time oh, in my life. Yeah, yeah, to climb um, Everest two years ago. And they had to flip and airlift them out because um, she got sick and a whole lot of issues. And then they decided, let's do something simpler, <laughs> which is Kilimanjaro. And he says, what they teach you is you must walk far slower than you think you can. Because you need to get used to air sickness and altitude sickness and all of those type of things. And so you have to walk so slowly to get to the bottom. Now, what that did for me is I have to write a lot of stuff on the side and do some research or whatever. When you think you have to write 5,000 words or 10,000 words or do this big thing, it's just too overwhelming. So then when, you, when I look at this, which is slowly, slowly, so I need to write this academic article on something I know very little about, 5,500 words within a month. I just looked at it and said, okay, I'm just going to do 250 words a day, which is that long. And I've been religious. I just sat four days a week, so it's a thousand words per per week. Just that. And I just did that. And then I realized most things work like that. You just have to do get the discipline right. So that's why this is my one of my favorite positions. Look at this two hundred and fifty words a day. <laughs> have you read any Jim Collins? Um no, I did when I was young. Um, he, what was he? Good to Great. Good to Great yes. and Great by Choice. Those yes. are very important books in the first rand culture. Okay. But the one part I do like, I forget if it's Good to Great or Great by Choice, it's the 50, doing the 15-mile journey. And it's the story of Amundsen versus Scott and how Scott and Amundsen were both racing for the pole and Scott would go run fast when go times were good and he would dig in when times were bad and he would stretch his supply chain as a result. He would overextend his teams or he would be too conservative in the approach, uh, and you know the, the results are in history, right? Amundsen made it two weeks prior, everyone was healthy, everyone survived, and they made the return journey, and Scott's whole party was eviscerated. So the lesson for Jim Collins is do the 15-mile journey, and I think corporate-wise, we don't do the 15-mile journey. Yeah. We sprint when it's good, we dig in when it's bad, um, and we don't necessarily consistently apply the 15-mile journey. And it doesn't mean that you don't do 15 miles when it's tough. That's the best time to do 15 miles. But then don't overextend yourself when it's good because you will. Uh, so it's a, it's a similar it's a yeah. similar philosophy that it's you. It's a it's. I always tell myself it's a marathon. It's not a hundred meter sprint. Yes. And that makes all the difference in the world. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. No, I forgot about that book. That was truly a really a. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and and very data data oriented. Hey? Twenty five yes. years of research. So yes. And then looking at those businesses and how they outperform the Nasdaq, relative to some of the high profile businesses with a with let's call them the hero leadership components, CEOs you've never heard of, but they're doing consistent journeys that just cumulatively builds over time. That really resonates with me in terms of building sustainability. And but Andrew, you remind me of something. There's also this other little meme that went, went around on social media. Is just get better 1% a week. Yes. So if you take 1% and it's cumulative, then I forgot now what the equation is, but it gets to 67 or 76%. Yes. Per year, yeah. if you think it's almost double, so 100% is double. Yeah. So if you want to double your fitness, which in my case is massive, or lose weight or whatever, just 1% a week is so simple mm. and manageable, right? Yes. Yeah. But over a year, it is it is a difference so big you almost can't 
can't measure it. The power so, yeah. of compound interest. Yeah. The power of com- That's the p- most powerful force in the universe. <laughs> that's it. That's it. But what's your hobbies then? What do you do for? So I except I mean, running um, fifteen mile, <laughs> fifteen mile, mile fifteen mile uh, journeys. Uh, well, I mean, I'm in my in my personal life. I I read extensively, as you may have gathered in the conversation. So. Uh, and the interests vary from from uh, politics and fic- uh, all the way through to thriller genre and fiction. Lee Child is my favourite uh, fiction oh, author. Oh yes. Uh, so you're Jack Reacher, so well known to me. <laughs> I've read all twenty, whatever they are. Um, I like to read non-fiction, so I'm busy with uh, O.W. Johnson's um, Fighting for for the Dream. I think it is interesting conservative economist. I've just finished reading uh, Spider's Web, which is about the li- about the libel. Manipulation um, piece yeah. uh, and Steinheist, <laughs> which is our own homespun John Grisham corporate <laughs> it, you know, Malfesian story, which was unbelievable. So, um, yeah, okay, that's a that's a great word, Malfesian. I must remember that. No, I think it's a bit unkind. It's just straight out criminality, if you ask me. But anyway, uh, so that's and I um, I, I have a um, I run to stay sane. I find that good. How far do you run? Uh, yeah, it's six, seven Ks in the morning, and then I try and do every sort of, day, uh, every other day. Wow! And then try and do sort of double that on the weekends if I can. Not so fit at the moment, but uh, working towards it. Yeah, uh, run a, got a couple of halves under the belt. Um, have an ambition to run a marathon this year, hopefully. So, if the knees hold out. So, and then uh, my family keeps me busy. Yeah, I've got two young boys, fifteen and they? fifteen and ten. Oh, that's nice. Uh, eldest has, has discovered rugby and water polo, and more lately girls. So I guess uh, you know, we all lose him. <laughs> His mom's heartbroken, but I spotted the process. Um, and then my youngster is an interesting little guy. He's, uh, he's, uh, he's got uh, what they call the knack, if you follow Dilbert. He's yeah. an engineer in the making. So he, he has an interest in sound engineering, and uh, I think he has a big, uh, a big future in, uh, in being a DJ on the under-10 circuit. So <laughs> we'll see. So I tell you what, one day you can bring your boy here, and he can set up the podcast and he can run all of this. Oh, no, absolutely. But first you'd want to understand the quality of the equipment and how it works and what the mixing desk is and what is the... Yeah, all that no, sort no, of stuff. don't worry. I went to it. Our first setup was a bit more rudimentary than this. And then <laughs> I got my ear chewed off by this guy on, can't filter this out, filter, and this is the best I need to do this. Was and the Thomas pain. will be delighted. He'll be absolutely... Yeah, I thought more than a pain in the ass than anything yeah. else, but yeah. <laughs> so, yeah... Now, Okay, so you do all of that, and that actually mm. sounds fascinating. So what do you do at, here at Standard Bank? So here at Standard Bank, uh, I'm responsible for a program called Payment Data Security. Payment Data Security. Yeah, it's a fancy name. Let me just put my hand on my wallet. <laughs> and that's probably the most uh, clear um, description of what it actually does, is put your hand on your wallet. So Payment Data Security is a is a is a is really a, a wordy explanation for a, for a security standard that we're looking to land inside the organization. Uh, and the security standard comes from the payments industry. The payments industry card specifically has been a very, uh, very progressive business, uh, technologically speaking, setting standards, interoperability, um, and, and a bit of thought leadership around um, banking services over the last 30, 40 years. If you consider a Visa card, you know, was issued in the late 50s or early 60s, and now it's ubiquitous throughout the globe. You get a sense of the kind of stuff that payment businesses do. And so probably 12, 14 years ago, they set up a security standard when they realized that when card information and card data goes online and all of us as consumers start shopping and e-commerce and 
phoning people to book um, hotel rooms all over the world that suddenly this data is aggregating into into big repositories in different environments um, and, and naturally it's it's uh, readily exploitable uh, and and can be turned into money and so the card industry very quickly started to move towards putting a security standard in place around how you actually treat card data throughout its life cycle and and, and the controls and and behaviors that you need to exhibit around protecting uh, protecting that data so, so that's you're protecting me I am protecting you um, and the, the businesses that are responsible for processing your personal information, the card information, are also have an obligation to protect you. So the merchants you transact at, the third parties that enable those transactions, um, the banks that are handling your information, all have the obligation under the standard that need to uh, that they need to implement and protect uh, your data. So it's not only a technology standard, it's also a process standard. I think it's very important, Yosef, yeah. So it is, it is quite deep technology if you read it. Uh, and... Uh, but realistically, what it is, is it's actually an integration of people, process, and technologies. And if you read the standard at the highest level, it strikes you as common sense uh, to, to the layperson. It is um, when you start unpacking it that it can become a little bit more, more, bit more arcane. But in, in classic information security process, it's a combination of people, process, and technologies. Okay, but make it real for me. So last okay. night, I bought something online. Yes. I'm not even going to tell you, just going to laugh. But I bought this thing online, and I had to type it. So what happened? So from the time I start entering my um, card number, yep. what's the processes that happen? Or is that top secret, Jack Reacher <laughs> stuff? No, I've, I mean, I've, I fell into the payment industry probably 15 years ago, and there's a thing called the four-party model. Yes. And that really is the secret of payments. If you understand the four-party model, you understand how payments work. And in the, in the model, there's, there's actually five parties. So why it's called four parties is beyond me. But anyway... There's the consumer, you and I, the cardholder, so you entering your details online. There's the bank that issues you your plastic or your payment token, the issuing bank, standard bank. I'm guessing it's a standard bank card. Yep. Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, the merchant. Yes, that is true yeah. because I work for standard bank and I'm fully compliant to all of the process yeah. and procedures of this bank. And I would not uh, one for one second think that you're carrying another bank's payment card. And then, uh, then you're shopping online. So let's call it take a lot, just for a generic. Yes. Um, and you're buying I know, camping equipment for the head of the week of the long weekend. Okay. Uh, that's the merchant. Hell no, but good example. But yes. <laughs> well, I'd hate to be personal. So, uh, so there's um, you're shopping online. You're buying a take a lot. Uh, that's the merchant. The merchant will have a bank in the background called an acquirer. An acquirer will process the transaction. Um, to make the example um, broader, I'll, I'll make it not us. Let's say it's. Uh, um, FNB, since we were talking about them earlier. FNB will then, when you, when you capture those details online, a couple of things are going to happen. Um, you're going to initiate the transaction on the merchant's website. Uh, when you hit the initiate, then you'll get that little authentication message that comes up. It says, please enter your phone number. So we can, that's called, that's a, that's a security protocol called 3D Secure, three domain secure. And it really is trying to establish that Yusuf's card is with Yusuf and Yusuf is doing the transaction. It is the same as a pin at an ATM. So, so it's authentication. Authentication. Thing. Okay. Uh, and that's just payment speak. We're basically authenticating that actually it's a legitimate transaction from a legitimate cardholder. No money's exchanged hands yet. Uh, no authorization has taken place yet. So once you've authenticated, the, the payment gateway, who sits behind the merchant, will, will construct a payment message, which will include card number, uh, totals, and so on. That'll be consolidated into a message, and that'll be sent to the acquiring bank. This is all covered by PCA, so it's all encrypted and... Uh, I'll get there. Yeah, okay. So we, we're talking transaction layer. So, 
Then what happens is the, the authentication message and the authorization message get constructed and it gets sent off to your bank. Okay. So it comes up to the standard bank issuing system. It says it's it's uh, USS card, it's uh, USS transaction, and this is the money that he's looking for to spend. So it's 1,500 Rand or whatever the value is. It says, yep, USS good for the value, and that all goes back. So when you see approved either at the point of sale or on the e-commerce gateway, all of that has happened in the background and it happens in sub-seconds. So everything, that's an online transaction. So um, at that point, you can check out, your order will get fulfilled and so on, and off, and off you go as cardholder. As, as, as far as your involvement is, uh, it's complete. For the merchant then, they will then submit what's called the settlement record through the, the acquiring bank, and the acquiring bank will then pay the merchant for that sale and then go and fetch the money from the issuing bank, which is Standard Bank, for settlement. Sure, you almost need a diagram. For yeah, us. you do need a whiteboard, um, but that's the secret to it, so I want you to understand that. So in that transaction set, if you can picture that in your mind's eye, all of those elements and components that play through that have to be secure um, and have to look after the, the transaction data all the way through its life cycle, both in, in flight, in other words, when it's moving between the organizations, and then when it comes to rest in terms of either um, putting it into a clearing and settlement environment or... Uh, in terms of actually a dispute or a or a customer service issue that you may experience somewhere along the along the line. What was the most hardest part of all of this? Because I can imagine you need to change business areas, you need to change processes, you need to work with bother thought IT to get stuff done. You need to work with everybody. So the the challenge that that PCI as a standard faces is is extremely onerous. Um, it has it it's, it's it looks benign like most standards on the outside. In other words, it's got a couple of core principles, but it expands to a host of very specific controls. And invariably, areas are then confronted with this big demand that has to, that has to be met. So the challenge really is, is how, do you, how do you make it uh, manageable? How do you break it into those 15-mile journeys? How do you make it bite-size? So you can say, if you start here and you build iteratively, you can achieve, you can achieve um, the objective. The second part is, it has been viewed traditionally as a compliance-based exercise. So in other words, I've got to do a checklist of 300 items, tick, 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 tick. And you can do that. But I think you miss generally what the standard is seeking to do. The standard is seeking to provide an embedded behavior of, uh, of culture, of process, of technology that actually protects organizations. And I think the real value in the standard is that it actually helps businesses improve the information security um, profile. Um, to make it quite simple, you know, people have heard about Papia and, 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 and personal information and all this kind of stuff. If you think about it like this, privacy tells you what to protect. In other words, it's my card number, it's my ID number, it's my home address. PCI, Payment Card Industry Data Security Standard, tells you how to protect it. And so I think if you put those two things together, it becomes a very powerful vehicle for the organization to give assurance to our customers, to our stakeholders, and to our shareholders in terms of how we, uh, how we deliver security in the organization. They say, and I fully agree with it, culture eats strategy for breakfast. So I guess you had to change a culture here in the bank and trying to move people to take this seriously. Yeah. How did you do that? So, I mean, I, I think when we speak of culture changes in organization, not just us, but bankers generally, I think it's quite conceited because it's said very glibly. Uh, you know, oh, just, it's a culture change. Uh, it's a process. It's it's uh, it, you iterate through a number of changes, and so we are we are embarking on this journey now to try and drive this understanding 
of, uh, of, of information risk and information security and the importance of, 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 of the data that we're entrusted with. So we are, we are in, the, in, in motion. Um, we are helping with education elements. We are helping with understanding of the value that can be delivered into the businesses. We are helping with specific um, uh, subject matter expertise to help, to help business areas understand their imperative and to understand what their obligations are. Um, and we're helping with just practical examples of, of what's possible. So, how, what happens if you have a, if you have an incident? If you if you have a data breach, what do you need to do? Who do you talk to? That kind of stuff. Um, the overarching message, though, is it's up to the individual users. Uh, the biggest flaw in any information security plan, strategy, execution, is do your users understand the obligations? And at the very basic level, that sounds so condescending. It's not the intention, but at the at the most simple level. Is, as you and I in the organization, when we're sending stuff out that, is, that we're entrusted with, so data assets, are we thinking about who we're sending it to? Where is it going? Is it encrypted? Why am I sending it? Do I need to send it? Do I, if I don't need the data, why, do, why should I have it? Because it puts me at risk, it puts my customer at risk. So these are some of the fundamental principles that I think we can start to knit into the communications pieces and the change management components for the organization. And I think that's where the real value starts to present. Dave, there's... You spoke about your son. Let's say he's 22, 23, and he wants to get into the payments business. Yes. Because it seems to me that payments is mostly the older guys who have all of the knowledge in this world. But let's say he wants to get into this business and get into cards and PCI. What should his curriculum look like? What should he get immersed himself in? What should he learn? What areas would you guide him to to go and look at? So I would say that the payments piece... Is, is more around the user experience um, and starting with the kind of the outside in. What are you solving for? What are the customer elements that need to be dealt with? The technical aspects around four-party, three-party, the technology pieces, that's you can learn uh, in a whiteboard session with someone in, in a morning, to be fair. And as I say, if you understand the four-party model, you, you're halfway there. But just but realize it's a five-party model. There are five parties, but that's how we keep them guessing. And then we use a lot of acronyms to, to make it very confusing. But I think, I think it's a difficult question to answer because the payments business – is a, is a massive industry, but a very small skills pool. So, because it impacts everyone every day, um, and it's not something that we think about. Um, so it is an exciting area, but my experience, I, came, I fell into it by chance, uh, and I've been very grateful because I think it's a great school. Many others have come from the technology field, so you know, going that route, going into the tech businesses, and then translating into business. Well, and so, the legal route I've seen the other day. There, are, there is a legal route because obviously it's uh, there's a, there's a lot of consumer rights obligations, um, and when you're building what we refer to in the payments world as two-sided markets, there's a massive. There's probably three parties now. <laughs> Don't confuse the number of parties. I'll lose, I'll lose track, Yusuf. But yes, so there's many avenues in. Um, I, if I can give a personal anecdote, I, I came from a different part of banking. I actually used to be a credit officer, if you can believe that. Um, actually, so maybe, I can. So maybe Keith will give me a job, uh, you know, should this not work out. But um, uh, I think uh, I used to watch the card guys and, and think, those guys have been in the industry forever. Yeah. What is so spectacular about a piece of plastic? I mean, are they, are they, are they nowhere? They just, they just don't move. But it is a dynamic industry. It is at the forefront, and it is. If you think about where it is now, particularly with the digital change, payments and payment experience sits right at the heart of your digital journey. How you experience Uber, how you experience Airbnb, how you experience um, uh, mobile is all around um, your daily lifestyle. 
and payment is, is fundamental to that. So, the yeah, pa- actually, you're right. There's a card behind all of that. Card is the rails all of these things run it, on. It sits by. It may not be a plastic over time. Mm. It definitely won't. It may not be the card industry per se, but the whole experience of how you interact with your with your service providers, with your peers, with your friends, is all predicated around uh, around being a social being, and, and payment is really fundamental. So, it is a it is an interesting space um, to be. Oh, last question from my side. And so what's your spiritual animal? So if you could be an animal, what would that be? It would be a dog. Which one and why? <laughs> Which one and why? I guess um, maybe I, it's, I have a, I've recently uh, had a Springer Spaniel come and stay with us. You a Springer Spaniel? Yeah, so okay. a bit playful, lots of fun, lots of energy. Um, gentle in nature at the end of the day. Um, loyal. Uh, good friend. Um, that's what I would be. Perfect. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you, Yusuf. Appreciate it.